I'm sure that most of you have heard of Robert Louis Stevenson's novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You guys have heard this. Do you know the story? Some of you are familiar with the story. Um, Jekyll comes to realize that he is capable of both great good and great evil. And he devises a portion to help him separate his two natures and consequently thereby control them. He wants to at least control the dark side during the day so he could be seen as imminently good. The unexpected consequence, of course, is that he discovers exactly how evil he is. <laughs> he finds out that he is a bottomless pit of narcissism. Now, I've run into people like this. Um, you probably have as well. Just a complete, you can't get to the bottom of the self-love and adulation. Um, but he was sickened by this, Jekyll was, and he really wanted to seek to control it. He wanted to get control of his alter ego, Mr. Hyde. Um, so to do this, he thought he would be very charitable and religious and kind and gracious. And so he did all of these things very proactively. He was overtly seen as a philanthropist and a man of good works. He wanted to smother and or make atone for Mr. Hyde. You know the story. One day he's sitting in the park and he's musing about how good he is, right? And as he muses about how good he is and what a fine person he is and how, you know, philanthropic and how charitable and how kind and gracious and merciful he is, he suddenly turns into the bad guy, right? He suddenly turns into Mr. Hyde. So this is Stevenson's brilliant insight into human nature. Why, while he's contemplating his good works, does he become Mr. Hyde? I think as biblical, biblically literate men and women, we kind of know this. Um, as he tried to cover his depravity, he actually exacerbated his depravity. And this is what merely religious men and women do. Okay, I'm not talking about born-again Christians. I'm talking about those who are merely religious externally. You know, they're still full of, as Jesus told the Pharisees, you're still full of dead men's bones. You're like whitewashed sepulchers. So why does it exacerbate? As he thinks about his goodness, why does this exact exacerbate his depravity? As he takes pride in all his goodness, he becomes Mr. Hyde. Well, you guys know, why did Satan fall? Why did he fall? You guys know what it says in Ezekiel, I think it's 28. Yes, Ezekiel 28. The angel Satan falls because his heart was lifted up inside him, right? So as, as uh, Jekyll took pride in his goodness, his heart was lifted up. This is the ultimate evil within human nature, right? C.S. Lewis says about pride, it is the primary sin of mankind. It is behind all other sins. Now, if we understand the fall of Satan, we understand that. Satan, again, was, he was the cherub that covereth. He was in the very presence of God. And his heart was lifted up within him. It's pride. <laughs> Jekyll was taking pride in his goodness. I, 
You guys have seen this. You know religious people. They're very proud of their goodness, right? They're very proud of their prayer time. They're proud of their Bible study. They're proud of their church attendance. They're proud of their giving. They're very proud. This is the height of human depravity. It's what Lewis is talking about. Lewis says, at the very moment, <laughs> at this very moment, you and I are either committing pride or we're about to commit pride or we're repenting of pride. This is something that human nature struggles with. There's no greater opportunity for pride, as I was just saying, than man-made religions. You guys know that the major world religions are essentially performance-based. You do X, God will do X, but you got to do X. You know, it's, it's performance-based. You got to earn something. You got to put God in your debt, right? By doing good things, you put God in your debt. This is the way the world religions work. It's why Christianity is completely different. Your average world religion will say, I obey, therefore God accepts me and God owes me, right? Christianity says, uh, I, I'm accepted by God through Jesus Christ and what he has done, therefore I love to obey. I don't obey to get, I obey because I love. Big difference, right? Big difference, huge difference. It's all the difference in the world. There's no, pride in, there's no pride in good works because I love the one who saved me. There's no pride in that. Man, I love him. I'll do what he tells me, right? I mean, he saved me from hell. I'll do what he says. I love him. It's not about pride. It's not about performance. It's not about being seen among men to be made much of. Tim Keller, I've shared this with you before, but I love this. I want to share it with you again. Tim Keller is a well-known preacher in the States. He talks about a young woman in his church who really understood the implications of the things that we're talking about here. The biblical gospel over against works-based religion. Listen to what she says. I think you'll understand it. She says this, If I'm saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer. I would have rights. I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life from God. But if I'm a sinner saved by grace, then there is nothing God cannot ask of me. I love this, right? <laughs> I love this. This woman is a burgeoning theologian. Uh, in my view, this is one of the reasons men have sought to hijack Christ the Christian gospel and that's to seek to manage God's claim on their life. What does radical, what should be our response to radical grace? I've said this to you many times over the years. What is really the only reasonable response to radical grace? You're saved by radical grace. It's a radical obedience. I'm not talking about a little obedience when it's comfortable. I'm talking about radical obedience. You know, I'm talking about out there past the comfort zone, right? And this is where God's always taking us. He's always taking out. He's always taking us past our comfort zone. This is what faith is. What is it that pleases God? Hebrews 11:6. Faith. And God is always going to call you out of the box. I'm in my box. I'm comfortable in my box. He's always going to call you out of the box. You find me one New Testament Christian that wasn't called out of the box. Find an Old Testament Christian. Well, there's no such thing. Find an Old Testament lover of God who wasn't called out of his box. 
It always happens. It needs to be happening in your life. It needs to be happening in my life as well. Keller's young friend is right. Men love to put God in their debt with their religious activity and all of their do-gooding. But if we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then Jesus can legitimately say to you and me, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. Which is exactly what He says. That's exactly what God says to anyone who would want to be called by His name. Which in our context, New Testament context, we would say the word Christian. Obviously, we understand there's such a thing as a cultural Christian. We get that. People talk about Christian. 95% of the time, what they mean is a cultural Christian. When we're in this church, when we talk about Christian, we're talking about the born-again kind, the lover of God kind, the one who is willing to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. Listen to Keller. He expands on this just a little bit, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get into the text. Keller says, while the religious person is focused on obedience, right? I got to put God in my debt. I got to perform. Motivated by fear of rejection that he might not do enough to get God's approval. A Christian, listen, I love this. A Christian rushes into obedience, motivated by a desire to please the one who saved him. I love that. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. So as we get back into the book of Colossians, as I've been saying to you, Paul is refuting the Christ plus guys, the false teachers who say you need Jesus and something. And the world is full of this. You need Jesus and something. Paul is refuting this clearly. Uh, the Holy Spirit, let me say this, the Holy Spirit is refuting Paul or is using Paul to refute this Christ plus blasphemy, and that's what it is. It's always blasphemy. Anytime someone is adding something to Jesus, it's demonic. It's blasphemous. Last week, the Holy Spirit said it as plainly and clearly as it can be said. Jesus Christ is God. Remember, remember how I closed the sermon in him, with him and through him. You are made complete. You don't need Religion. You don't need a denomination. You don't need sacraments. You don't need, you know, magic prayers. You don't need anything but Jesus Christ. And oh, guess what? If you're a Christian tonight, you have him. And all eternity is yours. Okay. And you're going to live it small? Really? Really? It is phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> How many people call themselves Christians and it's just, it's just business as usual, right? It's just business as usual. Jesus Christ is God. He is, I am, Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. He saves His people. You don't need religion. You don't need it. Paul says, don't you dare add anything to my God. This is the undercurrent. This is what he's saying between the lines, right? Last week we saw verse 11, right? Paul refuted the Jewish legalists. They said, man, you got to be circumcised. Yeah, you got to have Christ. Yeah, that's good. But you got to be circumcised or you're really not saved. 
You're really not in with God. You, you got to perform, man. You got to perform or you're not in with God. This week, verse 16, we're going to see it. He continues to rebut the Jewish legalists who want to, you know, push on the dietary laws and the feast days, right? So he's going to refute that this, this week as we look at this text. Let me just go ahead and read verse 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to what? Food or drink, the Old Testament, dietary laws is what he's referencing, or in respect to festivals or a new moon or Sabbath day, the festival days, keeping the Old Testament festival day, Jewish festival days. Verse 17, things which are, were a mere shadow, a mere shadow of what? Jesus, he's here. We don't need this anymore. He's here. All of that was just pointing to him. This is what he's saying. It was a mere shadow of what is to come. But the, the substance belongs to Jesus Christ. And he is now here. It's like they're saying, you know, Jesus isn't enough. Man, you got to eat the right stuff. You got to celebrate the right religious holidays. And you got to worship on the Sabbath. Or you're not a Christian. Or you don't please God. This is what's being shared in the church of Colossae. And apparently there was some spiritual intimidation going on because it says, let no one act as your judge, right? Religious people love to judge. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've been around it. They love to judge. Now, there's some confusion about this. You know, like if we were, as a, as a proper church, if someone was in open sin, it would be my job to confront them. Am I judging them? Are you, if you have a, a friend in open sin, you know, a lot of people say, well, you shouldn't judge. God calls us to call sin, sin. We don't judge. God will be the judge, but we do call sin, sin. Now, if someone's in open sin, it's my job to go to them as the pastor and, and challenge them, right? You guys know about church discipline, right? You put them out. If they refuse to repent, you put them out. This is what Paul says to do. The Apostle Paul. So there's a distinction here. We don't judge. We do call sin, sin. And we call a professed believer to repent. This is what the true church does. So don't, don't be intimidated when people say, well, you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. God will judge you on the last day. I'm not judging you. But sin is sin. God says what you're doing is sin. You need to repent. That's not judgment. That's just calling sin what it is. And Paul says, man, stop worrying about pleasing men. I love how he says it in Galatians 1.10. He says, For I am if I am seeking the, the favor of men or of God... Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. He says, I don't care about pleasing men. If I still cared about that, I'd still be a Pharisee. I'd still be doing my religion. I'd still be, you know, it'd still be the Jekyll Hyde thing. I'd still be, you know, in love with myself because I'm so good and righteous, right? How many people have, how many people have you met like that? In your lifetime, if you've been in the church very long. I mean, he was a big man in Jerusalem. 
He was a big, he was a big deal in Jerusalem. He says, I don't care about it. I don't care about what men say. He says, I'm no longer into doing religion or justifying myself before God or to please men. I don't do that anymore. The apostle is saying, in effect, I'm no longer trying to suppress Mr. Hyde within me through my performance-based religion. I'm no longer attempting to put God in my debt. I am everlastingly and utterly in His debt. So there are two truths here that are implied. Christ is sufficient. Paul is saying, Christ is all I need. This is one of the principal messages of the New Testament. Christ is sufficient. I don't need your sacraments. I don't need your blessing. I don't need your confession. I don't need your penance. I don't, I don't need, I don't need the, the, what is it called when you go on a trip? The, the pilgrimage. I don't need that. All I need is Jesus. Man, this is what you need to say in the world. When you're dealing with your religious friends from all the world religions plus pseudo-Christianity. Pseudo-Catholicism. Um, well, Catholicism, that's a, that's a, what's that called? That's a redundancy. Catholicism is, re, is pseudo. No, Catholicism is false. Let me get it right. But also pseudo-Protestantism, right? There, there, there are Protestant churches, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, you've got to be baptized, man, or you're not in. You've got to be baptized or you're not in. That's not, that's not biblical. So, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered me, delivered himself up for me. He says, it's no longer me. I have been crucified. I love this passage. So the radical implication of salvation by grace alone is Paul was happy to give himself away. And if you know anything about the, the life of the Apostle Paul, he just gave himself away. Right? Yeah, he, he was always a theologian. He remained a theologian. But he, he gave his, 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 his skills and his life to Christ. You say, well, Jim, I'm not a theologian. Well, what are you? Whatever you are, give it away. That's what he's calling you to. Whatever you are. I don't know what... what you guys, yeah, we may have 15 different professions in here. Whatever you are, give it away. Give it away to Christ for His honor and for His glory. Paul says, don't add your religious junk to my awesome God who bled out for me. So, because Paul really got this down deep, he could live it big. This is what he did. If you know the Bible, you understand he lived it big. It was not a burden for him to live this. It was his what? Great joy. Listen, do you have joy in just obeying God? He means for you to have joy in obeying him. And if you get, hey, I got fired one time because I refused to do something dishonest. I have to tell you, it was not good for just a few minutes. But God just like, you know... It was like 
He was with me and I was just, I almost just kind of began to bow up and explode, right? Because I felt his power. I felt his power uh, with me. I felt his presence. They knew I wouldn't do it. My boss knew. He knew I was a Christian. And, uh, you know, as he cursed me as I left, um, I said, hey, man. <laughs> you know, and people said, you should sue. That's wrongful discharge. You should sue. And I purposely wouldn't sue. I mean, it wasn't about the money, right? It was, it was about being a man of God. And that's what you're called to be. A witness where you live, where you work. Again, Keller, we rush into obedience by desire. It's, it's just desire. It's not I ought to, I want to, right? You guys know the difference. We all know the difference. And sometimes, and sometimes because, because we're weak, you know, we have to realize we have to preach ourselves into out of the ought to from the ought to position. But what it needs to be is I desire it. I desire to make much of Christ. Oh, am I going to get fired? Okay, I desire to make much of Christ here. The whole company knew. I talked to several people afterwards. They all knew. It wasn't because I was a good man. It was because God is worthy to follow. Listen, man, you don't know when that day is going to come for you, right? You don't know when the, you don't know when the heat's going to come. You don't know. It could, I had no idea that day when I went to work that I was going to be coming home at 2 a.m. or 2 p.m., right? You know, you got the wife, you got the two kids, the stay-at-home wife, the two kids, the mortgage, the dog, the cat, and the two finches. They're all relying on you, man. You can't get fired. You can't lose your job. Oh, guess what? Jehovah Jireh. What does it mean? And he did. It wasn't easy. But whoever said Christianity was going to be easy? Find me that verse. Where's that verse? Find me the verse. You're not going to find it. Verse 17. Paul says all this ritual Judaism, he says this is a mere shadow of Christ. He says, forget the shadows, man. Walk in the light. You know, sometimes people have a hard time with the new covenant, the old covenant, and they get in a real knot about this. Suffice to say, the Old Testament just pointed to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You can get in a big knot about it. You can, you know, parse everything and divide it all out. At the end of the day, well, Paul tells us it's in... Uh, Galatians 3, 24 and 25, the Old Testament law became what? Our tutor to lead us to Jesus, that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the law. He says, under the tutor. We're not under the law. We don't perform to please God to earn salvation. We perform because we love God. There's a big difference here, beloved. All the difference in the world. I perform to earn something from God, from God or I perform because I love God. He knows. He knows why you're doing what you do. He knows the thought in your mind. He knows the word before it's on your tongue. He knows it all. You can't fool him. If you think you're fooling someone, you're only fooling yourself, right? 
If you don't obey from love, then I, I just encourage you as your pastor, I lovingly say to you, go home, get alone, and do some business with God. And if, you don't, if you're not following Him out of love, ask Him to show you how. You know, I've been so moved lately. I just keep, I've been watching these old documentaries and all these people are dead, right? They're all dead. And the, I, somebody put, uh, I was eating potato chips for lunch today. This is fascinating. A lot of theology here, Chenelo. And I noticed on the, on the package there was a picture of this company's 1936 or something. It's a picture of these, these really old people, you know, I mean, I mean, it was an old picture of people making potato chips from their archives. And I told Karen, I said, they're all dead. What's my point? You're going to be dead soon. I'm going to be dead a lot sooner than you, most likely, statistically speaking. What am I going to do with my life, man? We're all going to die. They're all dead. You're all going to be dead. So what will you give your life to? What are you going to give your life to? Something as uh, uninteresting and mundane as make some money? What's your money worth the day they put you in a box? What's your money worth to you then? So Paul, he says, man, we're not under the law. Uh, you know why men love to pile external man-made religion on top of biblical Christianity, which I call pseudo-Christianity? One, you don't have to be born again to do external Christianity. You just, you just perform. You just check your box. You do this, you, whatever the, 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 the pastor or the priest or someone tells you, you just do it. You check your box. I've done it. I've done that. And anybody can check a box, right? If I give you 10, 10 tasks to do this week, if you're diligent, you can do them. It's not, that's what religion is. Another reason that men love man-made religion, and here's the, here's the big one, it's just easier. <laughs> it's easier than real Christianity. Right? It's easier to check a box than to do the Sermon on the Mount. You understand what I'm saying? If you're going to do the Sermon on the Mount, man, you've got to give yourself away to it. I mean, you have to, you have to be all in. Am I going to live the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> you know? It's big stuff, man. It's a big stuff. But I've got to share Galatians 5, 3, and 4 with you. Paul says, man, if you start adding stuff to Jesus, listen to what he says. You have been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. If, if you claim to be a Christian, but now you're adding works to impress God or to put God in your debt, you've been severed from Christ. You are no, you're, don't even call yourself a Christian. That's not what Christians do. It's not how Christians act or think. I've always loved Galatians 5. Let's look at the next two verses, 18 and 19. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, just false humility, and in the worship of angels. And here we are into mysticism, right? The worship of angels, taking his stand on visions. Here we are, mysticism. 
He has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. You know, you go into some denominations and everybody's got some kind of ecstatic manifestation going on, right? And if you don't have this ecstatic manifestation, well, obviously you don't have the Spirit of God and you're not a Christian. I've visited church, some churches like this and I couldn't leave as fast as, I mean, I couldn't leave any faster than I did. I just, it just felt... It, it, was, it didn't leave me with a good feeling at all. So, um, yeah, did I finish? I didn't finish. These guys are inflated without cause by their fleshly mind, verse 19, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. So I want you to see how Satan loves to attack us on all sides. The Jewish legalists are saying you're not doing enough stuff to be saved. The spiritual mystics are saying you're not experiencing enough to be saved. The Jewish legalists said you're not checking enough boxes. The, the spiritual mystics are saying you haven't had enough supernatural experiences. This is all a satanic version of Christ plus. And it's all demonic. It's all false. It's all a lie from hell. Verse 18, the Holy Spirit says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Stop listening to the legalists and the mystics and just hold on to Jesus is what the text is saying to us. The Holy Spirit says, Don't let anyone defraud you in this or deceive you or trick you or con you or dupe you, right? You know what men in my job, a lot of men in my job try to do is they try to control Right? They try to control the church and or the people. And they try to manipulate the people, many of them for their own enrichment. No, I don't have a private jet. Don't plan to get one. wonder how long it would take you guys in this room to bring enough money in here for me to get a private jet. I'm thinking I'll be long dead before we can ever make a down payment on a private jet. What do you think, Shibomi? Okay, that's what I thought. So, okay, enough about that. But beloved, this is Christianity 101. God saved you. God saved you. It wasn't about how good you were. God saved you out of the fact that you aren't good at all because you are Mr. Hyde. I am Mr. Hyde. It's all facade, isn't it? It can be all facade. We know what the world is like. It's just all facade. I was talking to Karen today, and I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit distracted. But I just finished this book, and uh, the, I love the hell chapter. You say, Jim, that's weird. No. It's, read it. You'll understand. We look at human beings and we say, oh, they're good. But you know what you find out in hell? They're all Mr. Hyde. Because all the facade is burned away. There is no facade in hell. They're all God-haters. They hate each other. They hate God. So all the human facade is burned away. It's stripped away in hell. And you, and you see what you're left with, Mr. Hyde. It's always Mr. Hyde. So... 
You can check religious boxes from, the sun, from, from sun up to sundown and never save yourself. You can have ecstatic experiences from daylight to dark and never save yourself. God has saved you. Why, does, why did God choose the Hebrews? Why did he choose the Hebrews? You've got to know this. Why did he choose them? He tells them. Why? You need to know this because it, 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 affects, it affects why God has chosen you as well. God says, I have loved you because I have loved you. That's it. You're Mr. Hyde, but I have decided to love you. You're a rebel. You're an insurgent. You're a usurper. You don't keep my law. You don't glorify me. You don't love me like you ought to, but I've set my heart on you. You're Mr. Hyde. But God's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. Man, come on. How can this be small? <laughs> if we're really thinking about it, it can't be small. Right? We're really understanding all that God is saying to us. Okay, let me move on. Verse 18. Uh, the term here translated um, self-abasement, as I said, just means, it just means to... Um, to, to, to it means a false humility, right? They were proud of their humility. Again, we're back to Jekyll and Hyde. It's what God always condemned, what God incarnate always condemned the Pharisees for. They were proud. They were proud of their religiosity. They were proud of their self-righteousness. They were proud of their humility. It was all pretense and hypocrisy. It was flesh on parade, as one of my seminary professors used to say. It's flesh on parade. Right? How many churches have you been in? It's just flesh on parade. <laughs> right? You know, you see these guys. I, told, I think I told you we went to Assisi a couple weeks ago, and there was a robe for $2,000, man. It was a golden robe. And I thought, man, if I bought that, I told Karen, I said, if I bought a robe, we'd get more people. If I had an impressive robe, people say, man, they got it going on over there. That pastor's got on a $2,000 golden robe. Right? But she, she reeled me back in. Um, but I mean, you got, got, it's just pathetic. The, the, the trappings of man-made religion. It actually, well, it's a stench in my nostrils. I know it's a stench in God's nostrils. There are many within what is called Christianity today that in fact elevate fleshly experience over truth. We, we understand that. It's... Uh, one segment of the church, it's just all, it's all experience. It's all ecstatic experience. It's all uh, manifestation, physical manifestation of, of the spirit. If you don't have it going on, then you're either not converted or you don't have enough faith or you're a second class Christian. Verse 19, Paul says these guys are clueless. They're not holding fast to the head. And we've talked about the head. Jesus is the head. So we won't develop that any further. Lastly, Paul addresses the ascetics. What does it mean? What is an ascetic? What does it mean? Someone who purposely lives a life of austere self-denial and self-discipline. Right? This used to be big. If you're a Christian, you had to be an ascetic. This used to be big in the day. Let me finish reading up here. Verse uh, 20. If you have died with Christ to be to the elementary principles of the world, why... 
as you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Of course, he's, he's talking about the law again. Verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Right? Verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, in self-made religion, and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So Paul is letting the ascetics have it here. Remember the Holy Spirit used the exact same phrase over in Colossians 2.8 when talking about human philosophy. So, what he's saying is, in a not-so-subtle way, is that man-made philosophy and man-made religion is stupid. I know that's inelegant, but that is, in fact, what he's saying. Listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the Message Bible. He says, these elementary principles of the world, they are pretentious and infantile. You know, you watch these guys. When they're, when they're, when they're performing and when they're talking, you just, you, it's just like, Wow. That's too stupid to take seriously. But people do take it seriously because people want to be seen as, as, as they, want, they, want to be, they want to be Dr. Jekyll in the world, man. They want to be seen as good. So they do religion. God hates religion as much as anything, as much as anything else in the world. I read about one ascetic. His name was Simon Stalettus. He never bathed or changed his clothes. He was so spiritual and so filthy that when he walked, quote, vermin dropped off his body, unquote. Okay? He felt holy about himself, I presume. Paul says, why are you submitting yourselves to these man, this man-made stupidity? Why do you listen to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? What does the Bible say about Christianity? We are free, right? We are free. <laughs> we are free. Let's finish up. Uh, verse 22, uh, he says there at the end, these things are in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Verse 23, look what he says about man-made religion, false humility, and asceticism. They have the appearance of wisdom, but they have no power. So we're back to Jekyll and Hyde. It looks good, but there is no power. The depravity is still there. So Jekyll could not, Jekyll could do lots of good works and please men all day, but he could never pile up enough good works to eradicate Hyde. Legalism, mysticism, asceticism has no power over the flesh. Only Jesus Christ does. Via the power of the Spirit. Why? Because we're all narcissists at heart. You know it, and I know it. If I don't fight narcissism, that's where I inevitably go in my mind. Maybe some of you are way more spiritual but you are prone toward narcissism and self-absorption and self-love. And this is the one thing that Christianity, only Christianity, has the power to break. The root of all sin, pride. Are you proud of your 
self-righteousness? Are you proud of your religion? Are you proud of your do-gooding? You need to go home and talk to God about it, man. <laughs> what does the Bible say? If you're going to glory in anything, glory in what? Christ. Pardon me? Christ. Glory in Christ. So some of you may not have needed this sermon on the inherent evil within all man-made religion, the Christ plus Gospels. Maybe some of you needed to remember the point Tim Keller's young friend was making about the implications of being saved by the sheer grace and mercy of God. Remember she said, there's nothing God cannot ask of me. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work and I could add so much of your religious performance. I want what? You. That's what I want. God says, I want you. I don't want you to tip your hat to me on Sunday. Yeah, you should be in a church. That's a whole nother sermon. I don't want that. I want you to be in relationship with me. Again, it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> this is big, man. This is big stuff. Lewis continues, I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. Half measures are no good. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's what we're talking about here. We don't need legalism and mysticism and asceticism. We have Christ. Christ is all we need. We don't need anything else. We have a scandalous freedom, as one theologian said, a scandalous freedom in Christ. Jesus says, if you know me, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I want to remind you, that you have the absolute, complete, and total freedom. And here it is. And this is a lot of freedom. To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow God incarnate. He set you free to do this. You say, oh, you got, you got ten reasons why you can't do it? Wrong. God says, God says, I've removed those reasons. I'm reason enough. I'll take care of the ten problems. You follow me. Right? This is the call. Deny yourself and follow me. And I'm going to say this and I'm done. <laughs> I'll say this as an old man who's followed Jesus for a while. This kind of life of following Christ, no matter what it is, it's the richest, the deepest, the widest, the freest, and the most satisfying life a human being can have. I've tried it both ways. I was converted at 28. So I know what it's like to live for yourself. And I know what it's like to fight to live for Christ. So, yeah, if you want any further information on that, I'm happy. I'm happy to give it. Let's pray together.